You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, July 14th, and it is our Bastille Day special. This episode is dedicated to you, Pierre Ouillet. We know you listen. Our guest today is our very own Chief Information Officer, Vince Kellen. And a quick note, you might recall that Vince was recently interviewed as part of the Cabinet Conversation Series put on by the UC San Diego Staff Association. We tried not to overlap too much with that content, and the recording is posted on The Current if you want to check it out. Here is a tasty teaser. At the very end, they asked Vince his favorite cupcake flavor. Now, if the scriptwriters here at The Current Podcast were any good, they would have come up with the perfect joke tying in to let them eat cake, but alas, it wasn't to be. Besides, that sentence was never actually said. So here's Vince. This is Mark Herzberger. I'm joined by our Chief Information Officer, Vince Kellen. Vince, welcome back to the pod. How are you? Great. Glad to be here um, and uh, looking uh, forward. We're going to cover uh, a range of topics, but I thought I'd start here. This summer marks your five-year anniversary at UC San Diego. Congratulations. What have you learned about the institution or what has surprised you the most over these past five years? Uh, this, well, first of all, what I've learned about the institution, this is an incredible institution. You know, I've been at two others, I've been in and around a bunch. This is just an incredible institution. It's a new institution. It was born in 1960. It's catapulted to the top of, you know, every sort of measure you can for a public institution. And, and so that's one. And then the other thing I've learned to appreciate a lot about the institution, it's, it's really, uh, you know, uh, a big thing for UC San Diego social mobility as it is for the UC system overall. In other words, helping people move ahead, you know, in their family situation based on uh, their own backgrounds. So being an engine of social mobility and economic prosperity is a big part of UC San Diego. So that's probably the the, the things I've learned to really appreciate about it. Anything surprised me? No, just, you know, the, the one thing that does continually, uh, I won't say surprise me, but uh, little surprises are just the breadth of the activities across the institution between research, health, education, everything. There's incredible breadth of activity. So this is an extremely robust institution. And perhaps more a bit pointedly, you've had similar positions before at DePaul and then also University of Kentucky. What, what comes to mind that's different about UC San Diego than those previous places you worked in higher ed? You know, uh, two things. One, I think uh, our Chancellor Preet Kasla has a, a fantastic vision and has been able to do a ton to transform this place. But he's coming into a place that has this youthful restlessness about it. And it's that youthful restlessness that causes action and orientation towards movement. And so I think that's probably the biggest difference. Uh, you know, the vision's big and bold. We're extremely critical of ourselves as an institution. So as good as we are, uh, the internal executive conversation is we're nowhere near good enough. I think that's wonderful. That's exactly where you want to be as an institution. I think relative to the other two, it's just, 
it's this restlessness. And I think California, you know, you think of California as laid back, but you can understand the origins of California are a lot of restless people coming in looking for gold and opportunity. And San Diego's got its own version of that. How is IT services different today than it was in 2016? Well, you know, that's a good question. I, I, I really have to trust the judgment of everybody here who's been through the transition. Um, you know, as a leader, I come in and my goal is to help direct change and help set a culture. So in a way, it's, it's you know, partially intertwined with me. So I don't really know enough about the organization before I got here. What I hear from others sounds very positive. Um, that we've moved into kind of reflecting what the institution is, this growing, highly capable kind of restlessness a bit. And so uh, I'm hoping that that's what the case is, but I really have to trust those who've been here before I got here uh, and, and sort of what they've observed. How do you see IT services and our delivery of IT products and services evolving over the next five years? Well, I, you know, I, I am so excited about the next five years because we're modernizing all of our systems, but that's just the beginning point. Um, the next iteration of this is gonna be applying advanced forms of technology, advanced forms of automation, advanced forms of analytics, a lot of process improvement to help one, make sure all our administration is as light and as lean as an automated as it possibly can be. This is a big job, actually, and it's a highly creative job. Uh, while I'm not necessarily one to constantly rush to the virtues of administrative computing, but in this case, I am. Uh, the administrative computing needs of the future are going to be big, and the vision can be as bold as anything. Uh, so uh, I think the next five years are about growing into our new enterprise systems, leading the way on automation and analytics and data representation and data warehousing, all, all those things. Uh, on the educational side, um, we've done a bunch in you know, sort of transition to Canvas dealing with COVID. Now it's also growing into that on the instructional side of life. Uh, I think research computing has its own trajectory so dependent upon the, the, the funding agencies that that will continue along. So I think the next five years for what we do is probably going to be the most exciting time in my life as a CIO. And I'm not saying that to, you know, give lip service to it. I, I've never been more excited about the future than I am now as a CIO. Cool. And I've got a few follow-up questions in each of those categories that we might get to. But for now, if, if you were to reflect on the this past school year, October through June, what are some of the big accomplishments that come to your mind for IT services? Well, the last year has been largely about COVID response and working remotely. And I think the IT unit has done stellar work in working remotely. We've kind of helped lead the organization how to do that well. Um, I kind of expected that from our unit though, given where we were prior to COVID. And then the past year has also been in rolling with the dynamic nature of the different compliance uh, rules we're under regarding COVID and distancing, masking, all that stuff, and that we're still under and will continue until it fades away here. Uh, so I think our response to those was extremely good in, you know, a condition of high ambiguity where, you know, from month to month or even week to week, we're not quite exactly sure which direction we're going to go. So I think this last year was a lot of scrambling. And I know on the enterprise system project, a lot of scrambling. 
Uh, I think there's a lot of people who, uh, you know, uh, got to got to see their first taste of a large enterprise system replacement. As difficult as it may seem to many folks, relative to many other projects I've been associated with on that size, this was well done. And on that note, why don't I ask you just, um, you know, to follow up, what is your assessment overall of the ESR program since it's a few years in at this point? Don't forget, I was talking to an institution um, about a week ago, and they're planning their transition from the PeopleSoft on-premise environment, considering that ancient legacy, and moving to cloud. We're moving from mainframe technology, which when PeopleSoft was first installed over 20 years ago at most institutions was considered ancient. We went from mainframe, skipped over the on-premise version of enterprise systems and went directly to cloud. So we leapfrogged an entire 20 to 30 years of technology stack. And so in that regard, mission accomplished. Um, the level of disaster recovery and general service overall will wear well into the future. Wherever possible, we've, we've tried to transition into new, what I call new code line software that's newer, that's going to wear longer. I'm particularly sensitive to the age of the software and a solution. Software cannot be or hang around forever. It has to be rewritten. And so I'd much rather get on a, a solution that's a newer code line, even if it's a little more immature. Uh, the cost profile we did this on, under was astounding. I mean, astounding, uh, with a lot of a do-it-yourself attitude internally, both in IT and outside. Yes, there's all sorts of discombobulation and noise that creates an imperfect uh, uh, things in the middle of, but that is the way these systems go. Uh, you know, the key thing is, is can we act, react quickly? And we're reacting very quickly. And we're about, let's just say it's the one year birthday, if you will, of the finance system since last July. Where is it on its uh, you know, stabilization or adoption uh, journey? The technology itself is fine. Uh, the technology uh, it works. It works as intended and designed. I think most people are struggling with the new chart of accounts concepts and, and the fact that that creates a whole lot of change relative to indexes. And then I think people are also reacting to sub-accounting uh, general ledgers, um, uh, sub-ledgers as we call them, and the sub-accounting rules around them because that causes a discombobulation in how you used to look at data. Uh, reports would bring everything together easier than today, and they don't look identical necessarily to old, and they really can't because the data structure is very different. Uh, so I think uh, it's going well, certainly on the tech side. It's now just getting through the, the last mile of the complex areas. And in full fairness to the institution, the areas that are struggling more are complex grant accounting areas. And that's the NAH uh, realm of grants where there's large scale uh, multi-institution collaboration and team science going on leading to a lot of transactions of you know, considerable complexity in some cases. And if we switch to some news from the student uh, project too, we learned, uh, I guess a couple of months, we're a couple of months removed from uh, announcing that a system was not identified, but that project continues. There's still lots to do. What's the roadmap there? Well, what we did is we, we looked at all our options and decided none of the, the vendors passed our test. So we withdrew the RFP, but then we went back to them and said, you need to produce for us a plan for how you're going to get your system to meet our requirements 
that we identified, how you're going to evolve, change, enhance, or design your system. And we want to enter into more of a um, innovation partnership with you. So there's a lot of eagerness by the uh, providers we've been talking to to want to help UC San Diego and get on, you know, close the sale and be part of what will be a success for us. We're also proceeding with the transitioning of legacy reports to the Student Activity Hub and the remediation of downstream applications to, off the Student Activity Hub. Uh, and that will really get a lot of work done uh, that would normally be part of the student implementation anyway. So I'm not at all concerned by this at all. I think it's uh, strategically a good move. It will also uh, probably lower the cost of the solution for us too, because uh, the competitors will be very hungry. Let me ask you some things about cybersecurity. It seems like there's a new hack or ransomware every time I, I look at the newspaper. So what's your assessment of the overall cyber threat landscape for UC San Diego as an institution? Yeah. Well, first of all, newspaper articles do not give you a real, just because you hear it in the news doesn't mean the threat is higher, right? What that means is, you know, think of the newspapers as kind of like sharks. They smell blood in the water, they all circle the blood, right? Could be one drop of blood, but there's 10 sharks, 10 newspapers around it. That said, in the last few years, the nature of cybersecurity has shifted, certainly here for UC and UC San Diego. We are the targets of largely state-sponsored or state-coordinated attacks out of Russia and China. We see that. They are sustained attacks. They will continue. They have different purposes. China is typically theft of IP and Russia is typically disruption. And so the difference is rather than thinking of cybersecurity threats as sort of random forest fires, they're actually sustained battles, sustained engagements with adversaries that are spending time and effort over the long haul to try to wreak havoc with our systems. So that's a better way to think about it. How are we battling back? everything we can. Uh, you know, the the way the hackers get in is actually spear phishing more often than not. And that's usually how it happens. So we've been doing a lot to try to control spear phishing. What I can tell everybody is don't click the link, 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 don't click the link. Don't click the link. Distrust the link, even if it comes from me. I do that religiously. And I have for a few decades now, when I got burned early in my career with a compromised computer by clicking on a link. Uh, since that day and time, I've never even gotten close. Uh, so please do not click the link. Please do not click the link. Uh, so that's probably the first line. Uh, and the second line are all the things we have to do. Two-factor authentication is a huge win. So get, to, and I encourage everybody, get two-factor authentication on everything you can. If you got an IRS site, uh, we're get it on that. If you got a social security site, you go there, get it on that. Even if you're not thinking about taxes or social security, get it on it anyway, uh, because it could be that people will try to file taxes fraudulently on your behalf. It's already happened to me twice. And so I think, you know, we're playing all the levers we can on the cybersecurity and, uh, and we'll continue to do that. But it's definitely a shift. It's now uh, a sustained engagement. I want to circle back, you'd mentioned um, data and data movement in one of the previous um, responses. What's an activity hub? Uh, activity hub is an next generation data warehouse. It's a combination of a data lake and a data warehouse all in one. 
and it's utilizing high-speed, very fast data warehousing capabilities that SAP HANA gives us. Uh, it's a style of developing these data warehouses that makes them a little more agile and easier to develop. We separate uh, the ingestion of data from the creation of the views. In traditional data warehousing, you do extraction, transformation, and loading, meaning as you extract data and bring it into the warehouse, you have to go through all that transformation work to make it usable. We don't do that. We bring the data in semi-structured into what we call an activity table. Uh, others can call it a data lake. That simplifies the loading of the data wonderfully. It separates the loading of the data from the actual consumption of the data. So we can bring in data ahead of use, uh, which we do frequently. And then the view designs can happen. And the only skill set we need for the view designs is normal SQL skills. So it's a narrowing of the skill set to you know what I call generic ANSI SQL, nothing fancy. And then the flexibility in how we've architected these that let us reuse views kind of like Lego building blocks. We can just rearrange them pretty quickly. Uh, to construct new views of the data. This has proved very helpful in our finance, finance activity hub to come out with new views quickly. It was really instrumental for our COVID analysis environment where we literally created that out of reusing other views. Um, so that modularity Lego like high reuse component of this makes it pretty easy to do. Yeah, can you elaborate on that? Maybe just what's the upshot then institutionally or for our department or even you know individual users out there, how this changes modes of operation or? We're, well, we're able to create specific data warehouse solutions a lot, lot faster, right? Um, we really didn't spend a lot of time creating data warehouse solutions in the past. We dumped a lot of data out there for folks and we did our best to try to pull things together in an ad hoc way. What this does is systematically creates portions of a data warehouse really quickly. So our time to market is much faster. And uh, so I think that's really the main benefit. The other benefit too is where we stand today, we have a student activity hub, we have a finance activity hub, we have a research activity hub, we have the growing facility activity hub, all within a year. I mean, student preceded that, but all the others have come alive in less than a year, um, a year or less. And so, uh, and we can join data from, from between them. So the data is what we call ontologic, synoptically ontologically congruent, meaning it all hangs together depending on what its source is. Got a little more work to do to map out the organizational hierarchy and UC path to the organizational hierarchy in, in the finance system. But by the time we move to system, that will all be uniform. Thus, joining data from different activity hubs becomes, you know, kind of easy peasy. Easy peasy. I like the sound of that. Vince will be back for part two next week, during which he'll offer some career advice inspired by Elvis Presley. I doubt old Elvis ever favored us with a rendition of La Marseillaise, the French national anthem, but I'm sure it would have been ethereal. Interesting to choose... Elvis in this capacity since he was a king after all. But have you ever read the lyrics? They're quite aggressive, shall we say. Obviously, dear listener, I could read them in perfect French, but I wanted everyone to fully understand. So here goes with the English translation. Arise, children of the fatherland, our day of glory has arrived. 
Against us, the bloody flag of tyranny is raised. The bloody flag is raised. Do you hear in the countryside the roar of those ferocious soldiers? They're coming right into your arms to cut the throats of your sons, your comrades. To arms, citizens, form your battalions. Let's march, let's march, that their impure blood should water our fields. Not that our own national anthem isn't filled with bombs bursting in air, but I digress. See you next week. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.